Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Abundance Solutions Hour, where our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Brian J. Henderson. And I'm your host, Gregory Turner. Greg. Brian, what's going on? Nothing much. How are you? Man, I'm blessed. I was I was kind of heavy today. Um, I was talking with a female, and we were talking about some of the issues that she's going through, and she said she just didn't know if God loved her or not. Mm. So it was. So I had a really heavy, heavy day, and I just told her, you know, in the Bible, it said that there's nothing that we could do that could separate God's love from us. And I talked with her, and we talked for a long time, and, and it was really disturbing to hear someone say that they didn't think God loved them. My, my, my. What kind of problems, or what is it that you're going through that will make you say something like that? I mean, you know, a person has to be really suffering and going through something to say those words. My God. Yeah, you know, I, I think everybody has, has been in a situation where they felt like that. Mm-hmm. You know, where their mindset has just gotten them to a point where they don't believe that God hears them. You know, and they, you know, and some of them actually don't believe that God exists for in their lives anymore. Yeah. You know, but for those out here, out there that are listening that are going through something like that, you just know that God is always there. You know, I remember the um, the footprints in the sand. And I never understood it. My grandmother used to have a picture of the footprints in the sand. In the sand, And I never understood the picture. I guess when I was young, I couldn't read at the time. And so I would always see the picture and I'd see the footprint. Mm-hmm. And one day I asked her about it because I, all I saw was the picture. I didn't know what it meant. And she said, well, the feet, you have, you know, you have two sets of feet walking. And then you have one set of feet walking. And she said, well, that's the point God is walking with you and then I said well did God leave and she says no the one set of footprints is when God is carrying you and so just know that when you when you're walking on that that road called life and you see those feet you know beside you walking with you God is walking with you and the time when you don't see those footprints that's because God is carrying you through that rough time and, you know, if we look back over our lives, he's done it time and time again. There's nothing new. He, he, he warned us, he told us that trials and tribulations are going to come. Yeah. And we shouldn't fall apart. Now, a lot of those trials and tribulations are really, really heavy. But the secret to getting your breakthrough is praising God through it. I was reading in the Bible where Jesus was praying to to God and he said to him first thing he said to him was thank you for hearing me Hmm. before he said anything else he thanked him for hearing so I say to a lot of us out there that's listening thank thank God in advance for what you're asking him for before you even ask him because he said he already know what we need before we come to you yeah now that's powerful (laughs) that's so powerful when someone when God knows what you need before you can even ask him. Yes. You know, and it's just amazing how God works because that's how he works. Yeah. Before you even think about what you need, he already knows. Mm-hmm. Before you can open your mouth to ask him, he mm-hmm. already knows mm-hmm. what you need. Mm-hmm. 
But is, I tell you, Greg, we are going to have a wonderful show tonight. Yes, we are. Yes, I think it'll. I definitely know it'll be inspiring because we have an inspiring person, you know, <laughs> who has been with us before. Yes. And she's come back to bless us again with her presence. Man, you know what? I was I was thinking about our guest, and I started looking at the excerpts of her book, the new mm-hmm. book. I think it just came out today, actually. And I was just so blown away with the things that's in this book. If you go to her website, StacyHawkinsAdams.com, it's called Watered Colored Pearls. You have to get this book. This book is touching on just about everything that needs to be touched on in a person's life. But I'll go ahead and introduce her to everybody. Stacy Hawkins Adams is a nationally acclaimed author, speaker, and freelance journalist whose novels help readers laugh, heal, and seek to lead more meaningful lives. What better work can a person do than that, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> what better work can one do? Without further ado, Stacy, are you there? Yes, I am. We are so happy to have you back. Yes. And we really believe that this book, I mean, God truly blessed you to write this book. Amen. I thank you both for having me. I'm honored to be back. And and I have to agree with you. It was a blessing for me to write this book, um, Brian and Greg. And and I have to say, with my my two previous novels, Speak to My Heart and Nothing But the Right Thing, I feel like all of my books are divinely inspired. But with those first two, I would hear from people that the books made them laugh, made them cry, and they just really felt like they were there with the characters. And I I was blessed by that. But with this third one, I experienced that myself. It was like as I was writing the book, I found myself weeping or I found myself laughing. It was just like God was speaking to me while I was writing it as well. Mm. You know, I was think I was just about to ask you, do you find yourself immersing yourself in the book while you're writing it? I do. The characters become real people to me, and I think they have to in order for you to write it authentically, but... Uh, when I finished writing Watercolored Pearls, I, I I would be driving down the road like a, three or four days later thinking about Serena and Erica, and I, I had to snap out of it and say, wait a minute, they're, they're characters, the book is finished, but they really do come alive for you. Yes, yes. That's so wow. Awesome. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. funny you say that because typically when I read a book and it's a very good book, the characters actually do come alive, and you do find yourselves you know, thinking about, well, wait a minute, I wonder what happened to... You know, right? <laughs> and so that's just awesome, you know. And I always, you know, I I think like, you know, I when I read, I tend to find myself thinking like the characters, mm-hmm. you know. And well, dang, you know, did such and such do this, or you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And so it's interesting that when you write, you actually do the same thing. Mhm. Mhm. You know, and I guess that's the, that's the sort of the effect that you want to have on the reader, where you want them to immerse themselves in the book. Exactly, and it, even though it's fiction, it's Christian fiction, much of it is taken from true life. I think we as authors, when we're writing novels, we want to uh, make it as true to life as possible so the characters can relate. And we do find that a lot of people feel like wherever they are in their journey that the, the characters or something about those characters' journey will speak to them as well. I heard you all talking earlier about the young lady who felt like you know God didn't love her or God wasn't with her. The characters in this book feel that way. Uh, sometimes they feel like they're disappointing God. Uh, sometimes they feel like God's not hearing their cries and their pleas, and they wonder, where is he in the situation that I'm in? So that's very true to life. 
Yes, you know, and just looking at um, some of the issues, my goodness, the issues that you have in there, a lot of people are dealing with self-esteem issues. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? You know, I that I think that is truly a tool of the devil because it starts so young, especially with girls. I think even now it starts even preteen age. And part of it is that we have this society where you have the models who have to be super thin and you've got the the beauty queens and you've got the Britney Spears and the Paris Hiltons of the world. So our society tells us this is what beauty is and this is what it is to be successful. You have to be wealthy. You have to be thin. You have to look a certain way. And that's kind of the message that we get from the world. But then also the devil will kind of latch on to that and, and, and ter- make us internalize those things and just kind of twist the knife in the area where he feels like you are the weakest. So, you know, we think we don't think of self-esteem as something that we we should be praying against, but in many ways if we can have the self-confidence in ourselves that, that God loves us no matter what, then we can move forward in life in many other ways. Yes, you know, um, I can remember when I was young, and, you know, I didn't have low self-esteem, but I knew others that did. You know, I always thought higher highly of myself, I was mm-hmm. kind of stuck up. You know? <laughs> no, but seriously, you know, I I find now that we have more people who have low self-esteem and they don't think that highly of themselves. Do you think it's a product of, you know, I know you talked about the Paris Hiltons of the world, but do you also think it's a, a product of the media oh, and definitely. how the media portrays, you know, it, well, in general, in African-Americans? I do. I think that there are negative stereotypes in the media, and I say this as a journalist. I was a newspaper reporter for 13 years, and, you know, we talk about as journalists being balanced and telling the story fairly, but at the same time, every individual is bringing themselves to that story. You know, whatever your frame of reference is, that's what you're going to write from. I remember being a college student at Jackson State University in Mississippi, and uh, I would often read the daily newspaper there and critique it. And, you know, we're talking Mississippi, so, you know, there are some stereotypes there. Yeah. And there was this one story that stuck out in my mind. Um, uh, somehow a car had veered off the road and had run up on a porch and struck a child. So, you know, all of that's relevant to the article where this reporter, who was Caucasian, thought it was important to also mention that while the child was being struck, the mother was sitting on the porch eating fried chicken. And I just thought that was such a stereotype. I actually called the newspaper, and I knew the managing editor, and I said, okay, here's a stereotype. So those kinds of things, that just kind of perpetuates the problem in our community. But also, again, we are looking at the stars. We're looking at the Paris Hilton's. We're thinking, oh, I'm not fair-skinned enough. My nose is not thin enough. We think that if we're not Eurocentric, then we're not beautiful or we're not um, good enough. Yes. Do you think, well, I know what you're going to say, but, I think the, the the listeners, the callers need to, to hear what you're saying, all the people that's listening right now. Wouldn't God's grace be sufficient for that? God's grace is sufficient for that, and I think part of it is uh, sometimes as Christians we don't want to deal with, you know, because we are supposed to be looking at the spirit man and the Holy Spirit and what God is doing on the inside. We don't always deal with where people are in the world. So like if there's a teenager who's struggling with weight issues or she's struggling with the fact that she's not as pretty as her sister or or a relative or something, that's not something that we necessarily deal with in the church because we're so focused on the inner man. But at the same time, maybe we need to meet that person or that child where they are and show them in the scripture where God says, I knew you before you were formed. 
you know, I knew what your issues were going to be. I knew what your purpose was going to be in life, and maybe this is part of your journey. We need to use those scriptures to meet people where they are, even when we're talking about self-image and self-confidence. And it plays a very important part in that person's life because when Brian and I go out to the detention centers and to the jails, that's the first thing that we notice. And the guys will tell us that they had self-esteem issues growing up, but they won't tell us, just just come out and say, well, you know, I had self-esteem issues. They'll say, I was doing something that I wasn't supposed to be doing that I didn't want to do. Right. And part of it is wanting to fit in and the whole peer pressure. Like one of the characters in, in the novel, Watercolor Pearls, her name is Tawana, and she's 23 years old. She's a Harvard Law School student. And if you just look at her, she's a beautiful young lady. You think, boy, she's got the world at her feet. Everything is going well for her. But inside, she's very ashamed that she was a teenage mother. She had a child when she was 16, and so here she is now, 23 years old, with a 7-year-old, trying to explain this to all of her, her you know, upper-crust Ivy League Harvard Law School friends. And then she's also dealing with the shame of having grown up in poverty, uh, because that has lingered with her. And so she's making the wrong choices to deal with that self-esteem. Instead of saying, God, heal me from these issues, God, help me to embrace my past and use it to bless somebody else, she's trying to run from it and hide from it, and she finds herself in bad relationships with man after man because she's not owning up to her own self-esteem issues and dealing with them. You know, I was thinking about, um, you said something about self-confidence. Mm-hmm. And uh, just recently I was talking with uh, a deacon at my church, and his grandchildren were getting in trouble with the law and so forth. And so I went over to talk with them, and what I found is that once I started talking to them, you know, and I talked to them real. Mm-hmm. I was telling them about the real issues. Look, if you're doing crimes, you're going to go to jail. There's no such thing as a three-strikes law. It's a one-strike law. You know, you do right. something, you go to jail. You know, because a lot of it was they, they just felt like, oh, we can get away with it because mm. of something they heard or something they, you know, somebody told them. But, you know, the reality is they wouldn't look me in the eye. Mm. And I I realized that automatically. I said, look at me. Don't look away. Look at me, you know. Mm -hmm. When I'm talking to you, I want you to pay attention to me. And the way way that you do that is you have to look at me. You know, and I didn't say in a way, you know, how most people say, look at where I'm talking to you. Right. You know, I didn't do it like that. I said it in a way where they could understand that I was talking to them. Mm-hmm. And even some of their little friends that were hanging around, you know, they were like, this guy is talking to you, and you're not even paying attention. You know, and, right. and these, and, you know, and the other kids, it's not like their records were squeaky clean. They had been in trouble as well. Mm-hmm. But they understood, you know, and I tell Greg about this all the time, they understood authority. Right. And they And they looked at me and they said, he represents authority. And so why is it that, for so long, like, and and I'm and I'm just guess I'm asking this on the issue with our young black males. Mm-hmm. How come our young black males find it hard to respect authority? I think it goes way back to the history of our ancestors. Our young black men have never been respected in this society. And if you look at a young black male who grows up in poverty. When I was a newspaper reporter, I I wrote often about welfare reform. And they grow up and they see their single mother maybe, you know, dating the wrong guy or being beat by the wrong guy. Or maybe they grew up without a Brian or a Greg in their lives. And they thought, you know, I don't have any positive role models. All I see 
is a person on the corner who is selling the drugs, and they're telling me I'm not going to get in trouble because I'm a juvenile. If they don't have those role models, they have no hope. Uh, when my husband was a college student in Tennessee, at Tennessee State University years ago, um, one of his roommates was from Washington, D.C., and he had grown up in the rough part of the city, and he told him, you know what, if I live to be 40, I have done well. 40 years old. Now, we're close to 40 now. Mm-hmm. And my husband talks about, I wonder where he is. And he actually found him on the Internet. And, you know, obviously God got to this to this gentleman because he went on to become a, a Ph.D. in philosophy, and he's now a professor at a university in Miami. But when he was in college even, he thought, if I live to be 40, I have done well. You know, what's there to live for beyond that? And that, that was the mentality. He grew up living in poverty in a rough neighborhood in Miami. And then on the flip side of it, if you think about a young black male who has grown up in privilege, uh, they're driving around in a car that their wealthy parents have bought him, bought them, or bought him. That child can be stopped on the street just like any other child because of the color of his skin. So I feel like our African American males, they really have a lot of challenges. They have a lot to face up to or to deal with in our society, and it takes a strong role model, a strong father figure, or a strong man in that in that child's life to say. You are more than your circumstances, or you are more than what our society tells you you are. And I have a son. Uh, he's six years old, and my husband and I tell him all the time, you are a leader. You know, you don't want to be a follower. You know, don't do what your friends are doing at school when you know that that's wrong. You are a leader, and you always remember that. Mm, yes. That's so important. Because if, <laughs> if they always follow the pack, then they definitely they definitely will get in trouble. Right, I mean, right. Your pressure is real. Yes, it is. You know, it's another part of your in your book you were talking about transformation. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. None of us like to be transformed, but when God is transforming us, it's for something greater than what we are. But I think it's when we're in the process, that's what we don't like. Right. We definitely- when we're in that process, it's almost like he's hiding us from... From, from everything. It's like we just don't know what's going on. All we know is something is going on, and the first thing we think in our mind is something is wrong. And that's not always the case. You know, when God is molding us and shaping us or t- getting us, preparing us to go to our next level, we automatically think that it's something that the enemy is doing. Right. And it is a very uncomfortable thing. It's a very uncomfortable place to be in when he's doing that. But you know, I, I think the, the most important part about us being in a transformation period is we have to hold on and trust God through it. Right, and that's why that's where the faith piece comes in because it is like the Bible says it's like being refined by fire, and fire is not comfortable. Or even if you think about the butterfly, um, it starts out as a caterpillar and it's yeah, got to no. shed that cocoon. I'm sure that's not a comfortable process when it's shedding that cocoon. And then the whole theme of the book, Watercolor Pearls, it's exactly about what you're saying, transformation. And if you know anything about how pearls are formed, they are formed on the inside of an oyster. You have an oyster there just floating along in the sea, and an irritant or a parasite enters that oyster. And many times, you know, uh, people who make pearls, they force an irritant into that oyster. Mm -hmm. And because that oyster gets uncomfortable, it starts forming these layers layer upon layer to protect itself. And after years, several years, that's when you wind up with the pearl. So even within the, the body of that oyster, it's trying to protect itself. It's trying to deal with this irritant. It's creating something beautiful. And that's what God does to us or does through us when we persevere. He shapes and molds us into who we want to be or who he wants us to be if we just hold on and persevere and trust him through that process. That's awesome. <laughs> I like that. I, that was awesome. 
If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour, and we have with us tonight author Stacy Hawkins Adams. If you have a question or a comment to, uh, if you'd like to talk to Stacy Hawkins Adams, you can reach us at 718-508-9600. That's 718-508-9600. You know, Ms. Adams, the book, where did, where did you get the name of the book from? Um, again, I had started writing, and when I started writing the book, it actually had a different title. I think it was called Count It All Joy or something along those lines. Again, just thinking about that transformation process. But halfway through the book, uh, my editor, one of the editors from the publishing house, emailed me and said, how's it going? And when I emailed her back, it was just like God dropped into my sphere. You need to put in the metaphor about the pearls. And so I said, well, you know what? I think I want to change the name of the book to Watercolored Pearls. And the reason I came up with watercolors is because, you know, often when we think of pearls, we just think of the, the strand of white pearls that you wear in your ears or around your neck. But pearls actually come in various shades, various sizes, and the black pearl happens to be one of the most precious pearls of all. And so I chose that title because each of these characters are dealing with totally different issues. One of them, Serena, is struggling at, in, with young motherhood. Um, Erica is trying to decide whether or not God would be pleased with her if she leaves her abusive husband. And again, as I said about Tawana, she's dealing with self-esteem issues and making the wrong choices. So three very different people at various stages in life, but they're all pearls in progress. So I came up with the watercolor just to sort of symbolize that although we're not all alike, we can all be Christians and we can be totally different because God sees something different and unique in each of us. And that's exactly what he's trying to hone and refine in each of us. So basically, you know what I got from that? I got from that for the for the for the youth or for the kids or for anyone actually, you can't compare your life to somebody else's. Amen. That's exactly. what I that's what I got from that. Just like you said, we are all pearls. We're all special. We're all unique in our own way. We just have to find out what it is that God has for us and find out our uniqueness and and just live that and stop trying to live and be like somebody else. Or exactly. when God blesses someone. You know, we get upset. Why is he blessing them? They just came in. It's not fair. Right. You know, we don't always know their story. We don't know their journey. Yeah. We just see the, the prize or the success or the end result. We don't know how they were refined or how they got there or what they had to sacrifice. That's so true. That's so true because, you know, a lot of times we think we know. You never know what's going on in a person's mind. You never know what that person is dealing with because they don't tell you or because they come to work and they're smiling every day, you just don't know. There, there's a lot of pain. It may be a lot of pain there. Then again, it may not be. But for us to, you know, to stand on the outside and to try to compare and say, well, what's happening to her, the good part, I should have got that. I should be able to do what she's doing. Why can't I have some of the gifts that she has? If she's a singer, why can't I sing as, you know, just like her? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think that's something that our youth, we're getting caught up in that. A lot of our young young kids, I think they're getting caught up in that. Yeah, it's called hateration by Mary J. Blige. <laughs> and it's so true. We do. We I think, again, it just goes back to our culture because we glorify the, the rich and the famous and those who have particular talents, especially in the entertainment industry, without looking at the Bible, which talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and it talks about, 
everybody having a spiritual gift. And if you go to a church or you study the Bible or even take classes that talk about spiritual gifts, there are assessments that you can do to find out what your spiritual gifts are. And for some people, it's simply the gift of encouragement. If you can encourage somebody in a special way, you might be just be talking to the person at the, the cashier when you're in the grocery store and you offer a word of encouragement. That might save that person from going home later and killing, killing themselves. You don't know. Or maybe you have a gift of service, or maybe you have the gift of being a prayer warrior. All of us have different gifts, and all of our gifts don't necessarily put us out in the forefront, but God doesn't treat them any differently or as less or greater than another. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you said that, I was thinking about the children and the gifts that they have. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we stymie their gifts because... You know, I mean, there's many different reasons, but what I believe is that we stymie their gifts because, you know, I, I'll put it the way that uh, somebody told me one day. They said, we, uh, for two years or three years, we teach children how to stand up and talk. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of their lives, we tell them to shut up and sit down. That is so true. <laughs> that is so true. You know, and so I'm saying that to say, a lot of times we'll we'll hinder a child's gift or hinder a child's learning potential or, you know, talent potential because, well, most of the time it's for our own selfish reasons. You know, I don't want that child to shine over my child. You know? Right. I, like Greg and I used to coach football together. I, I'm still coaching. He's not. Mm-hmm. You know, but what I found is that for many of the kids that I coach, a lot of the parents want them to be, this awesome, you know, all-pro talent, and it's their first year ever playing football. Mm. You know, and they and the parents push them so hard that, or they or the parents look for them to be so good so quick that when they're not that way, the parents become angry. Mm. And they and a lot of times, like I can remember one year before I started coaching, and this is what kind of brought me into coaching. Because there was a guy, and he was pushing his son to play. His son played defense. Mm-hmm. You know, and this guy was a big guy. He's like 6'5". His son was one of the biggest players on the team. You know, and his son was, wasn't was that good. He was okay, and it was his first year playing. You know, he's 11 years old, mm-hmm. and or 10 years old, I think. You know, but he was a big kid. And so every play his father said, you better make the tackle. <laughs> you better make the tackle. You better not let that player get past you. And every play on the sideline, this guy was literally screaming at his son. Mm. And so I pulled him to the side. I said, man, you're not helping him. Oh, he's going to be the bomb. He's going to be the bomb. He's going to be the bomb. I said, you're trying to light the fuse before he's ready, before he's ready to blow up. Right. You know, I said, you gotta, you can't push him that hard. Do you not notice that he does not want to play that hard? You know, mm. I said, let him let him get into his groove. And so when we finally convinced him to stop yelling at his son, his son started playing better. See? We told him to sit in, because he was standing on the sideline. <laughs> the next game we told get in the stands. Sit in the stands, don't say anything. Because what he was doing was he was hindering his child while trying to make his child better. Right, he was channeling. He was yeah. what he wanted to do, or what he did did do one day, or you know, at once, or maybe wanted to do. Mm-hmm. He was channeling through his child, and, and parents do that. Right. You know, we think, oh, I I succeeded at this, so they should, or maybe I didn't succeed and I wanted to, 
so they need to do it on my behalf. And I, I find that a lot. And when I think about uh, where I grew up, I grew up in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, hmm. a town of about 60,000 people in. I graduated from high school in the class of 1989. And when I look back at that class, it's just amazing because, you know, it's just a blessing to think about how all of many of us in that class knew what we wanted to do when we were children. And our community nurtured that. Um, I think I said on your previous show that when I was six years old, my family discovered my gift of writing, and my sisters would take my stories and poems and type them up and give them back to me and say, oh, my goodness, here's your book. This is wonderful. And they would share with everybody. And so then my fourth-grade teacher let me write the class play, and my fifth-grade teacher sent the poem to the police department. So there was that community there that nurtured that gift in me. And another of my classmates, he decided when he was 11 that he wanted to be a dentist. Well, now he's a maliofacial surgeon, an oral surgeon in Atlanta and doing very well. Mm-hmm. And I also happened to go to high school with Smokey Norfolk, um, who's a gospel singer, a Grammy award-winning gospel singer. And, of course, his gift for singing was nurtured very early on by his parents, but people in our community also embraced him. And I wrote an article about him when, we were, when he was a 10th grader. I was actually a senior. And he talked in that article about wanting to someday record, you know, an album and, you know, sing gospel. And he's doing what he wanted to do because he had people who believed in that dream and didn't tell him that you live in Arkansas. How are you going to someday be a Grammy Award-winning singer? Right. He believed in it, and people nurtured that in him. You know, Stacy, with him doing that, chasing his dream, I know one thing, you know, even if people don't tell him, that he can't do it, if there's people speaking into his life telling him that he can, mm-hmm. you better believe the enemy is telling him he can't. Exactly. The enemy is telling him he can't, and a lot of times that stops a lot of us. But because Smokey and your um, foundation was already built, it it didn't work. Right. The enemy couldn't get through to you guys to, to stop you from getting to your dreams. You know, a lot of us, we have dreams. But we allow other people to tear us down to the point of us not even trying to to, to really attack our dreams like we should. And and I've said this before, we have people in our families. It's, it's, not, it's not always our enemies that tell us what we can't do. A lot of times it's our family. Mm-hmm. Our family can tell us we can't do something, you shouldn't do this. Or then again, you may have someone in the family that's cautious and out of love, they don't want to see you get hurt. Mm-hmm. And they tell you, well, maybe you shouldn't try this. Maybe you should just stay over here because it's safe and the risk is not as, as high. But we need to, I, th- I think we need to go after what we want regardless of what anybody says. And that's where that confidence comes in and that faith in God because if you remember, even Jesus got that. Remember when he went yes. to the temple and he was 12 years old and he was preaching to the, the prophets and the priests, and his parents were like, where, where were you? We couldn't find you. They wanted to keep him in that cocoon of childhood. And he said, wait a minute, I have to be about my father's business. That's right. So if you think that even Jesus had to deal with that, and his mother knew how she, he was conceived and how she gave birth to him, why wouldn't we face those same challenges within our own families? And I do recall when I was heading off to college, one of our, you know, not a close relative, but a distant relative said to me, you shouldn't major in journalism. They don't hire a lot of blacks for that career. But I knew in my heart that I wanted to be a writer, and I just felt like, you know, I'm going to do what God's put in my heart. I don't think I articulated it that way as an 18-year-old, but I knew that I had this gift, and I thought, you know what, maybe I'll be the first. 
And I went on and did that. And when I got to college my freshman year, I, I decided, okay, I want to apply for a summer internship at a newspaper because I had read that in order to succeed in that field, you had to do internships and network and get to know people. Well, the advisor of the journalism department said, oh, they never get freshman internships. So I would wait another year. But something in me said, you know what, doesn't hurt to try. So when I went home for spring break, I went to the newspaper in Arkansas, um, you know, called them up and said, I want to come down for an interview. Happened to have a terrible cold the day I went in, was just coughing all over the place. But he gave me an internship, and and I was the only freshman that he hired that summer. So those things just kind of encouraged me and, and gave me uh, more confidence to believe that if God drops it in your spirit or puts it in your spirit, even when people are saying, no, don't try it, or that's too risky, or nobody's ever done that, until God tells you, don't walk down that path. You open those doors, you push on those doors and, and see how far they open because if God doesn't want them to open, then they won't open. But if it's meant for you, then God will open those doors. And you know, when those doors close, that's when that's when we we find out who we are. Right. You know, because those doors, we are going to have some doors that's going to close. Yes, We're going to have are. some people that's going to be so negative to shoot us down to try it. And, and a lot of times it may... They may not be trying to shatter your dreams. A lot of times, they may just maybe probably just don't have a position, or that a lot of times they don't want, they don't want to help you for whatever reason. You you can't stop there. That's just one door. Right, and, that, and, times, it, and and it may be the timing. Maybe that's not the door that God wants you to walk through at that time. In my in my first novel, Speak to My Heart, I mentioned Tawana, who's twenty three, and in uh, Watercolor Pearls, or in the very first book, Speak to My Heart, uh, that's the book that Tawana winds up pregnant in as a 16-year-old. And throughout that book, her mother is just horrible to her. She's mean, she's angry, but at the end of the book, she finally confesses that I'm angry at you because I feel like you've thrown your life away because I threw my life away when I got pregnant with you, and that's why we wound up living in the projects, and that's why I'm working this this job that I hate because I gave my dreams away. I threw them away, and I see you doing the same thing. So a lot of times when people are, you know, even in love offering us advice or telling us what they know, they're speaking from their frame of reference. And you just have to be mindful that maybe God is giving you another frame of reference, not that you ignore your elders or you ignore any spiritual wisdom, but just always be mindful of what God is speaking to your spirit. Stacey, we have a caller and I want to go to the caller in the 972 area code. Okay. 972 area code. Caller, are you there? Hello, are you there, caller? Okay, maybe they're just listening. Okay. All right. Let's, let me ask you about, um, I'm actually looking on your website, and I see that you have a crosswalk blog. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, Crosswalk is a faith-based website that uh, focuses on Christian issues ranging from everything from parenting to marriage to Christian fiction novels. And I have blogged for them off and on for about three or four years. And um, what I typically do, I don't write on it every week or every day like most people blog. I'll just write when something strikes my heart. Um, So like my most recent blog was probably about six weeks ago when uh, Robin... uh, Robin Roberts on Good Morning America announced that she had breast cancer. And I just thought, wow, you know, 
you can tell that she's a person of faith. And so I just kind of blogged about how we needed to pray for her and other women with breast cancer, but how God may be using this season and using her high profile to raise awareness about breast cancer. So yeah. I'll blog on issues um, that are relevant to today's society. I blogged about the Virginia Tech shootings when that happened because I live in Virginia. I've written a lot about my children and the things that I learned about my faith journey by parenting them. So just the issues that strike me, I'll blog about. You know, it's interesting you talked about uh, Robin Roberts because when I first saw that, I was the, my first impression was, wow, you know, because... Most of the time, you don't think that it that it affects, you know, famous people. Mm-hmm. You know, and when I saw it was her, my heart went out to her because I'm thinking, this is Robin Roberts. Right. She's like the first lady of sports. You know, when she was doing sport, I can remember she was doing sports, and you know, now she's sort of like, when you think about women in that do sports broadcasting, you think about Robin Roberts. Right. You know. And so, you know, it, it was just interesting that she, when she came out, she was so open about what happened to her. You know, she and you know she didn't try to you know because most people try to keep it a secret; they don't want anybody to know. And then if it leaks, then they say, "Okay, well, you know, I had this happen," and you know. But she was very open, and she said, "I want pe- the reason I want people to know is so that they will go out and get tested." Exactly. You know, they will go out and, and get themselves checked out. You know, and I think that was just like, and, and I believe that what you said is true. I do believe she's a woman of faith because, you know, just ordinary people don't have that type of love for others that they open themselves up, you know, to literally to attack. Because right. some people, I'm sure, attacked her for that. Oh, yeah. Or Why did she let people in her business? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? And that's part of our culture. We want to be secretive about things like that, but... Uh, to her credit, she had written a book. I want to say her book came out in April about uh, Seven Lessons from the Heart, and I happened to have read that book because I was going to review it uh, in my work as a freelance writer. And she talked about her faith in that book, and uh, uh, there's a book, Streams from the Desert. It's a devotional that she reads on a regular basis. And she referenced that that morning when she talked about having cancer and how you know, the book would, had helped her through her faith, and she was going to continue to rely on that and the prayers of her family and the viewing audience. And I think even she realized as a person of faith that God could use this to save other people's lives. But like you said, we all were sort of touched like, wow, you know, this famous person who can afford the best doctors, the best care, she's a healthy person, she exercises, and yet this happened to her. And I really just feel like it's it's a tool that God will use to raise awareness among others. Hmm. Well, that is awesome. Stacey, let me get your take on... Genesis. I know you're a writer. Did you write anything on that? No, I didn't write on that because I typically write about inspirational issues, but uh, I guess I'll just say I was very happy to see our community rally around this issue because it truly was a travesty that they that this young man was being tried as an adult uh, when the other individuals who had also been involved with the, the fighting incident were not being charged in the same manner. So I was just I was so excited to see that we were rallying around this issue trying to help these young men mm-hmm. and just raise awareness that even in 2007 we have to be on guard and we have to fight for justice in our community. Wow. Yes, yes. You know, speaking on the genesis, I've talked to several individuals, you know, both black and white, and you know, the one thing that I noticed 
is that most of the white people agree that the boys shouldn't have been tried that harshly, but they felt like they should have had something, hmm. you know. And then when they say, well, how do you try somebody for putting up a noose? You know, and, and they really didn't they, didn't, they didn't understand. They said, you know, what do you charge them with if they hold up a noose? I said, it's picture yourself. It's a hate yourself. crime. It's a hate crime. Right. I said, picture yourself in that noose, sitting on a horse, waiting for someone to hit that horse so that noose can tighten and snap your neck. <laughs> you know, and once they did that, they were thinking, and I said, and picture a whole bunch of, you know, and this was for most of the white people that I talked, to picture a whole bunch of black people having a party mm-hmm. around you, cheering you on, cheering your death on, and celebrating the fact that your neck is about to snap and that you're going to suffocate. <laughs> you know, I said, now, do you understand why we feel the way we do about somebody showing a noose like that? Now, do you understand why it's a hate crime, why, why we feel it's a crime of hate? Mm-hmm. You know, and say, well, those six boys, you know, beat that one white kid up, and they kicked him in the face when he was unconscious. I said, yes, but what they don't tell you about is, you know, the other issues that were surrounding, like like when those boys pulled a, a gun on, you know, when the white kids pulled a gun on the black kids, and the black kids, instead of beating him up then, took the gun away from him. Hmm. And that's why uh, some of the other kids were charged. They were charged with theft of a firearm. Come hmm. on, you know. Theft? After, okay. You know, and so, I mean, there's a lot of different, you know, and people, you know, in general are upset because they say, you know, well, we're not a, you know, we're not racist in this town, you know, but you personally don't have to be a racist to have issues in your community that lend themselves to racism. Right. You know, and so, you know, the people that were coming on TV, of course, were the folks that are saying, we're not racist, we're not racist, we love white people, we love black people. But what they weren't showing were the people who were ready to say, look, I don't like black people, or, hey, look, I don't like white people. Right. Personally, I think it was more than just the white people not liking the black people. I think it was the both sides not liking each other, and then it spilling over into the schools, and then the administration at the school siding with one side versus the other, mm-hmm. and really instigating and and you know creating more of a problem once they quote unquote try to fix the problem by having someone come in. Right. You know, my thing is you don't. If you want to fix a problem, you have somebody that's going to come in and be a problem solver, not someone that's going to say, hey, look, if you do this again, I know how to make you disappear. Right. You and I think, I think it is all, as I keep saying, frame of reference, because if you are the principal and you're Caucasian, you don't know what it's like to have, you know, heard about Emmett Till in Mississippi or right. to have possibly ancestors who have gone through that or to know about the Little Rock Nine and, and know just what that feels like to have that racism occur. And not to say that, you know, you know, white people won't have any understanding. What I'm saying is is that if your frame of reference is, oh, my goodness, this happened to this poor child by himself, let's throw the book at him, you, you don't have a frame of reference for the other side and how it's not just the news. You're looking at your history. You're looking at this really happened, and it could happen again. And 
a whole lot of things are going on, and so there there is some discommunication between both sides that probably needs to occur across society. And I think, you know, a lot of times it has to occur one-on-one. It's great that you could have a conversation with Caucasians about, you know, this is my frame of reference and this is how I'm looking at it, because that's where it kind of starts, that one-on-one dialogue is what's going to make the difference. Okay. Well, Stacey, what about the the writers that are coming up now, the the little girls that are in the churches, or they're in high school, and they want to become writers, and they're reading your books? Do you ever do seminars or workshops? I do. I've done uh, writing workshops at several area high schools, and I've done some summer writing workshops uh, for teenagers, and I also do writing workshops for adults. So. Primarily, I, I seem to work with the youth uh, quite a bit more. But yes, definitely, I, I do that. And what I say is, everybody's not born to be a novelist or to write books. But a lot of people do have that in them. And if you feel like that's something you want to do, it doesn't hurt to try. It doesn't hurt to explore it and figure out whether that's your gift or what's, what's your story that you want to tell. Are your seminars and workshops are they listed on your website? So. So the workshops are not. I have my now my keynote speeches are listed on my uh, website. I don't necessarily have the workshops listed because I typically tailor those to the needs of the organization. Uh, you know, I've done everything from a six-week creative writing workshop to uh, a two-day seminar. So it just depends on what the needs of the organization is. Hmm. Right. Okay. You know, I'm reading on your website as well. You do a monthly newsletter. Yes. And uh, you have in there. You know, it features inspiring personalities, book club of the month, and you also talk about your books and other authors' works. Mm-hmm. And it's called Life Untapped. Yes. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. It kind of goes back to what we're saying about having the confidence to live in faith. It's sort of like, you know, we have so much potential, so much untapped potential, and if you're living an untapped life, that means you're just letting all that potential go forth. You are trusting that as long as you put in your best best effort and, and work in excellence, then God is going to just take those seeds and just blossom them in ways you can't even imagine. But first you have to believe that your potential is worthwhile, and when you do that, God can just open doors. And with that newsletter, I've just been blessed to interview people such as Tavis Smiley. I've interviewed um, actor Stephen Baldwin, uh, T.D. Jakes, um, uh, Chris Gardner, who was the inspiration for the Pursuit of Happiness movie that Will Smith starred in, wow. and just talk to them about their own untapped lives, their own untapped journeys, and the things that God has done in their lives and what he's doing now. Have you ever had a situation where you wanted to interview one of the uh, big actors or someone that's really high up? Did, did they ever try to say, well, you know, I really don't want to talk about my spiritual life. I want to, I don't really want people to know what I believe and what I don't believe. You know, I haven't run into that yet, and I guess, you know, sometimes with some of them I approach it subtly. Like with Chris Gardner, I didn't come right out and ask him about his faith, but it came out in the interview. So sometimes they'll be overt about it and sometimes they'll be subtle. And I usually focus on people who have written books, and usually it's in their books anyway. So I just let them talk about talk about their faith in a way that's comfortable for them but all the books or people that I feature have in some way talked about their faith or their spirituality in the books that they've written. Or even in our interview, I recently did my September newsletter, which is not on the website yet, was with uh, Tina McElroy Ansa, who is like a literary fiction novelist, an African-American novelist, and she's written um, Ugly Ways, and her new book is called Taken After Madea. So 
she talks about, you know, nothing is wasted and how that comes from the Bible when um, Jesus was feeding the 5,000, and as he finished feeding the 5,000, he told his disciples to pick up the scraps. So even Jesus didn't waste anything. And her whole take on that is everything that comes into our lives, even when we feel like, why did I make that decision or why did I make that choice, nothing is wasted because God can use all of those experiences for our good. Yes, yes. I want to go back to your website because I, I like um, what, how you have on your website. It says musings, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that kind of caught my attention. I'm like musings. Oh, okay, let me go see what that means. <laughs> and um, you also have a MySpace page. Yes. And that MySpace page is myspace.com/slash Stacy Hawkins Adams. Yes. Okay, and it tells uh, where you can learn more about Stacy's interests. So if anybody's interested in what Stacy's doing, you know, you can go on her MySpace page. And you also have uh, a monthly podcast. Mm-hmm. It's called Let's Talk Writing with Stacy. What are some of the things you talk about on that? Well, that show you were talking earlier about people who may be interested in writing, that's a good show for people to listen to. It uh, airs live, as just like your broadcast does, but it's the third Thursday of every month from 7 to 8 p.m. on TalkShoe.com, and you would go to the Talking Book Show. So on that show, I interview best-selling authors, I interview agents, I interview editors with publishing houses, and they just talk about what it takes to become a published author and what it means to be excellent in this profession. And if they're authors, they talk about how they hone their skills as writers and, and give advice to people who call in about how they can get published or become better writers. So I just try to cover the gamut of things that people are interested in writing want to know. Oh, with your new book coming out today, Watercolor Pearls. It did come out today, right? Yep, today was the birthday of it. <laughs> <laughs> How can someone order this book for a Christmas gift or just to bless someone with it? They can go to my website, stacyhawkinsadams.com, and on the books page they can order it there through Amazon. But they can also visit their local uh, bookstore that is sold nationwide, so they can go into Barnes & Noble, or if there's an independent store, just go in and ask them to look up Watercolor Pearls and their distribution system, and the bookstore owner should be able to pull that up and special order it for them because it is available nationwide. How How is your schedule look for book signing? Where Where are you going? Gosh, let's see, so many places I can barely remember. Like I said, I just got back from the Congressional Black Caucus, so I did a pre-signing there. Mm-hmm. Um, on Thursday, I'm having a book release reception here in Richmond, Virginia, where I live, and I'm really excited about that because what I'm doing during the reception, of course, I'll be reading from the book and, and selling and signing the book, but I'll also be honoring some watercolor pearls in the community uh, there's a local organization called Voices for Virginia's Children, mm-hmm. and basically they fight for children's rights uh, in, the, in the state legislature. They try to make sure that parents have affordable child care. They make sure that children who have mental health issues are getting proper treatment. So they just fight for kids, so they'll be getting an award. And then there's a woman named Muriel Miller Branch, who actually is one of my personal spiritual mentors, but she is just an awesome woman of God who mentors women across the board and Um, started an organization called Women Inspired to Transform where she and many of her professional women friends mentor women who are struggling with drug abuse or child parent issues, that kind of thing, just kind of nurturing them in faith and also in in being role models for how to be better parents. Yes. You know, I'm actually on your website. Uh, For those of you that want to follow her, 
not, not necessarily like <laughs> you know if you want to find out where she's going to be next you can go to her website and it's www.stacyhawkinsadams.com slash events.asp that's her events page you can go on that events page and you can see all the signings that she has and you have a lot of stuff going on in the month yeah, of October. I, I'm, I'm pretty busy. I'm out there spreading the word about the watercolor pearls. I'll be in Maryland on Saturday at the Capitol Book Fest. Uh, then I'll be down in Newport News, Virginia, the week after that, and and then in Williamsburg. So I'm a little bit all over the place. Yes, yeah, I see yeah. you. I see you're going to be on television on the third. Yes, I'll be doing an interview uh, at, on the noon broadcast on the third to promote the book signing on on Thursday, the fourth. And I'm doing a lot of speakerphone chats with book clubs, so that means if I'm not able to get to your area or if you have a meeting coming up before I could get there, I could basically do a 30-minute telephone chat with you to discuss the book with the book club members. Well, Stacey, with with you traveling all over the place, you know the question a lot of people want to ask is, does she have a 9 to 5 to do a high <laughs> doing all of this? Well, you know, fortunately, God has blessed me to come out of the 9 to 5. About um, 18 months or so ago, I did leave my full-time job right before the second book came out because I have two young children. They're six and nine years old now, and I am married. And, um, you know, we have full lives with our family. And as a journalist, I was working 10 hours a day. So I just got to the point where, you know, sort of like God was saying, step out of the boat and just trust me to lead you down this new path because I knew I couldn't handle all of the traveling with the newspaper career and with the family. So I do a lot of freelance writing. Uh, that sort of kind of replaced my, my journalism career, my full-time journalism career. And I also do public speaking, uh, and those two things kind of balance out the writing of the books. That's awesome. I think the reason I said that is because I, a lot of people really need to hear you say that God told you to step out on faith, and you did it. You walked away from uh, an office job where you knew that the check would be there every week or every two weeks or every month. You knew it was coming, but on the other one, you just didn't know it was coming, but you knew that God would take care of you and, and uh, make sure that you have everything that you need. And I think that's something that a lot of people are, they they work so hard to get to that point, but they're afraid to take that next step. Right, and I, I really do feel like it has to be, from God, because when I turned in my resignation, I never had a second thought. I, I have not to this day regretted making that decision. I haven't doubted making that decision. And like you said, it hasn't always been easy. You know, there have been sacrifices and times like, okay, where's the freelance, you know, where's that payment coming, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's just been a rest in God because I know that he called me to do it, and so I just go back to his scripture where he says that, you know, I shouldn't be worried about any of that because he's taking care of me, especially when I'm walking in obedience. And the Bible does say that obedience is better than sacrifice. And so when you know that God has called you to do that, then you really can't, you'll really you have the peace of God about it. Yes, that's awesome. You know, I want to read something that I found uh, that you said, Stacy. You said, live life on purpose. Embrace your divine uniqueness. Pursue your dreams fearlessly. Consider your mistakes, stepping stones to wisdom. God applauds that faith and confidence by granting successes, miracles, that only he could engineer. Amen. Tell me, where did you get that from? Gosh, I guess just 
just looking over the course of my life when God has done that exactly for me, you know, like, wow, how did you open that door? How did that, how did that connection happen? You know, blessings that just come, and I'm thinking it's only God. You know, it could not have come in my own striving. No matter how hard I worked, I couldn't have gotten favor with that person or I couldn't have gotten favor, you know, with this contract or, or speaking engagement. It's just God opening doors and, you know, you can't say anything but it is him, you know, and then that's where that faith comes in. And that's kind of that whole journey of being a watercolor pearl because the, the beauty of the pearl is that really you're just reflecting the light of God. You're reflecting all of the things he's brought you through to bring you to that point of, of beauty. And, you know, my, my ultimate goal was to be on, as a career-wise, I should say, is to be on the New York Times bestsellers list. And I know that it's not going to be me that gets me there. It'll be God who puts me there. Yes, yeah, absolutely. That's so awesome. That's so awesome that you're doing what you're doing. And basically, it's just funny. I was telling Brian, everything that you do is geared towards helping others. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. Thank you. And that's, you know, to me, it's a gift. I mean, there's just such a reward in helping others. It's just, I get joy out of. You know, blessing others with the writing, with the stories that they can read, with helping people become writers. And, you know, I always say that if I weren't a writer, I probably would have been a social worker or something because I really, I just, you know, I just, I'm blessed when I help other people. Yeah. God said what you do for others or what you make happen for others, he'll make it happen for you. Amen. And I know you're, you're <laughs> the fruit from everything that you've uh, sold. I, I, bet it's, I bet it's a wonderful thing. Thank you. And I wanted to quickly share the scripture that Watercolor Pearls is based on. Uh, if you get the book, it's, it's Matthew 13, 45, 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. And that's just a metaphor for Jesus is the pearl merchant. And he's on the lookout for those choice pearls. And when he finds those pearls, he will sell everything. He'll give everything up to buy it. And that's what he does for us because he considers us those choice pearls. Wow. <laughs> I like that. Uh, Ms. Adams, we'd like to thank you again for coming on the show. Yes, we do. You know, thank you're you. always welcome to bless us with your presence on the Abundance Solutions Hour. But, it has um, been a blessing. Thank you for having me. You know, the book is called Water Colored Pearl. Go out to Borders, Amazon.com, Books and More, Books a Million. Ask for the book by Stacey Hawkins Adams, Water Colored Pearl. You know, when you're, when you're going through life, and you, like the book says, when you think that every time that, that covering is coming on you and think you're being weighed down it's just God his presence is just covering you you know so don't look at it as if you're being looked over or 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 stepped upon you're being covered just like a pearl so it's taking that rough irritant and it's shaping it and molding it into a thing of beauty that is to be held and so saying that we thank you again for listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. And we ask that you come back and listen again on Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. That being said, you have been listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. We thank you again, and we bless God for you. <laughs>